So welcome to the latest episode of Design Truth. Uh, my name is Brad and me and my design mate Drew catch up with the different lived experiences and perspectives within the world of industrial design. Today we're joined by Nick Chubb, lead industrial designer at IDC, to find out whether I'm the only visiting lecturer to experience a student cooking a lamb shank during a talk. Um, if you half enjoyed the episode, um, please do share it with a design pal of yours or even drop a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Ever want to be a guest, just track us down on the socials or hello at designtruth.co.uk. Cue the funky music intro. We may as well get out of the way, but how do you feel about the sweepstake win? Um, obviously you won the the design truth prize so yeah yeah it's lovely that i completely forgot that you'd kind of topped it up a little bit so also yeah. that was quite a nice little surprise all right yeah so well done Congratulations. one to watch yeah, for the, was, one um, to watch for the world cup yeah it was to be honest well, obviously when i was watching i wasn't thinking about winning that sweet no. stage, but <laughs> it was kind of like the day after where i went oh it's not all bad yeah it's not all bad at all though how did you how did you get on drew you had hungry I don't know. <laughs> Honestly, it was such a non-event. The sweeps thing wasn't Paul. I was like, okay, I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> I might get like the most red cards or the fanciest hat in the crowd if we did spot prices or something like that. I'm like, okay, Hungary in that group. I can't even remember who was in their group, but it's like yeah, three great. big teams and Hungary. Like, oh cool, I'm out. And as a as a Welshman, like there's there's probably not a lot of skin in this yeah. game for me. This I think team. it was it was it France, Germany, and Portugal, I think. Yeah. They gave it a good go, to be fair. Can't. I'm sure they tried their best. Yeah, they did it right. I'm sure they meant every bit of it. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I totally they've got an honourable mention on the, on the sweepstake. So, uh, yeah, again, another another reinforcement of my complete normality in society. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, so thanks, thanks, obviously, spending the, the time to to join us today Nick I do know you listen to the odd episodes but uh, like all things if you could just introduce yourself to the masses um, who you are and what you're about that would be that would be great yeah sure so my name's Nick Chubb so I am um, the lead industrial designer at IDC so we're a design consultancy uh, in Datchet just uh, across the river from Windsor Um, and I kind of Head up our sort of industrial design, design strategy, front end research, and sort of overall design direction of, of all of our projects, and um, also our digital marketing as well. Yeah, um, nice. I can validate that because I can validate that because I spoke to you yesterday and you had just like a bucket load of poster notes behind you. So you, you kind of you hit, you hit that stereotype on the head <laughs> straight away. <laughs> Um, is that sorry have i not delivered were you expecting a whole yeah it's not it's not as great and then, you, in the background. and then you had a moment when he was like oh, i don't know if i want to put this in the background because i don't know if i'm showing anything um oh, yeah, that i shouldn't do there's always, there's always that one but um yeah uh, we we know the feeling about confidentiality because anyone that's a keen design truth observer will realize that there is currently the curious case of episode 30 which is all which has uh disappeared and uh, that was because of a particular company that's um, named after a fruit. So um, we can't say that. We can't uh, mention uh, that particular company. Um, so uh, if we I think we should redub it and just go shh <laughs> over every time it gets mentioned. Go, no, no, 
So yeah, if, you, if you're currently kind of on a listen back exercise of like, okay, I'm on episode 29, where's episode 30 gone? Unfortunately, it's disappeared, guys. So you're going to have to go straight on to episode 31. <laughs> and uh, maybe one day it will reappear, but not in the uh, not in the meantime. So hopefully you won't say anything too um, controversial over the next hour or so, cool. Nick, that, yeah. I have, that I have to take another episode down. Can't promise the, anything. And the and the sponsors won't be too happy if I if we have to take <laughs> two episodes down in a month. It, all of a sudden, me and Drew will start getting a bit of a reputation. So I'm sure we'll be fine. <laughs> another one. <laughs> I suppose it'd be good just to start at the beginning, really, Nick. Um, as you probably can tell with a lot of the episodes we have, we tend to start at the beginning of someone's career and go off on tangents at, at different kind of different kind of points. But you started off over at um, was it Sheffield Hallam? Uh, uh, yeah, so I was I was up in Sheffield. Um, How more than are you, like, like Nick? Because you start like compared to most of the you know the, the Shoreditch bandits that we get on. How northern are you? Because you sound properly northern. I'm from um, I'm from Doncaster. I'll give that. So as well. Just a little further <laughs> north of Jeffield. I was actually born in Hook in Hampshire. I just don't sound like it because I moved when I was about five. But yeah, I'm from Doncaster. Went to um, went to Hallam. Did the uh, did the course up there. Really enjoyed it. Really good. Did some like good life projects and stuff like that. And then I'd always kind of done bits of branding and graphic design and logos. I'd always kind of done that on the side. And then over the course of my time there, I'd worked with a a marketing agency, but the creative director studied product design. So for quite a long period of time, I was kind of being mentored by him, doing bits of marketing and branding and graphic design and all this sort of stuff because he owned an agency but then working on physical product stuff at the same time. So it was kind of an odd, quite a unique little mix. And then I did a few little internships, a bit of furniture, worked with another agency in Bakewell doing, uh, that was an agency who specialised in cookware and kitchenware products. And then after that, I got a job at uh, Mamas and Papas. So that was my first entry in um, doing like push chairs and high chairs and toys and, and stuff like that. And then to Life Venture and Life Systems and Little Life doing travel gear and outdoor products and um, baby carriers and water filtration bottles and all sorts of kind of like travel gear Mm. um, across those three brands. And there was a fair bit of soft goods for them as well doing that. Um, And then to IDC. You've been there a while, haven't you? Yeah, that was towards the start of 2015. Okay. Yeah, but you've been there a while now. Is that, was, was, that, was that always what you wanted to do when you left uni? Did you have this like plan of being an That's agency or or did you just thought, oh, just land at a job and see what happens? Did you have a grand plan or not? Um, I just knew, I think everyone when they graduate in their mind, they've always got just well-known brands is just the... <laughs> thing that most people want to gravitate to and so mamas and papas was just kind of this because they were quite a well-known brand it's the sort of brand that people knew and also just the types of products as well like there's a there's a reasonable amount of complexity to them not just technically but in terms of usability and user experience of a pushchair 
Yeah. But then you've also got the mix of complexity from a technical standpoint mm. and then complexity from a compliance and regulation standpoint. Yeah. So if a baby dies, if, if a baby dies, you're going to know about it quite soon. Aren't yeah, you? exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, well, um, I mean, that sounds like you've been thrown uh, a lot of different, a lot of different curveballs all at the same time. What do you think was the big thing that you learned or that you, uh, that you went, hang on, I got to make a shift. Uh, was there anything like that when you went to mamas and papas? I think one of the, I don't know about things that were a major shift that I had to take on board, but, I think one of the things that served me from there was that especially helping me in consultancy life as well is just understanding all the things that are going on in the background of an in-house brand. Okay. And so even just all the types of different types of teams and roles and knowledge of who things usually go through to get to a certain point and, um, yeah, I'm not sure about like major shifts that I had to take on board, but just understanding just the, the other roles that are at play within product development yeah. um, was probably a big one. And just the depth, because it's not, I think time is treated very differently between, well, I, I can't speak for every in-house brand and every consultancy, but from my experience of the agencies I've been in and the in-house teams I've been in, time is treated very differently yeah. in the, the within the in-house teams I've worked with, it's not that there isn't deadlines to work with. There absolutely is, but they're normally these deadlines that are weeks or months away mm. that have to be delivered by. But how you use your time hour to hour within that period, there's less kind of drill down to yeah, that level. Every hour doesn't need to be billable, does it? Exactly. Whereas in consultancy, it can very much be, you know, you have X amount of hours. Yeah. Which, um, you, and, uh, which do you feel more natural in, in out of those environments? Um, I think consultancy potentially utilises, or in a more obvious way, more of my skill set, I think. Just in terms of business development and marketing and sales, I think having um, just studied and spent a lot of time learning about sales and marketing and business, I think consultancy makes makes better sense. More of an obvious use of that, that skill set, I think. Yeah. But you have yeah. to appreciate there might be the odd in-house to listening to this, Nick, and you don't want to rule yourself out of a potential career move. Yeah, uh, well, that's down the thing, line. So even, <laughs> no, no, I totally get it. So even within, yeah, that's why I'm hesitant to say that, actually, because even within an internal team, you're still having to sell and you're still having to articulate the value of different activities within product development. Yeah, yeah. But rather than selling to an external client who's paying you for them, you're you're having to sell the value of those activities and selling the reason of spending a certain amount of time on something to a board of directors. So you're still having to have deep knowledge and understand the value of what you're doing and articulate that value yeah. mm. just to a different audience. I totally agree. Um, and I, I, most of my career has been uh, in-house with bits of, you know, uh, freelance and consulting and, and all that type of an agency work. But uh, yeah, no, I, I would, I would totally agree. You still got, um, you've almost still got a client as an in-house um, designer. You've still got 
uh, other stakeholders. Um, they might be you know, higher up decision makers, or they might be, um, you know, some of your peers in different departments. But you've still got to, as you say, demonstrate the value of taking the time to do the research and to, and to not just draw it and go, okay, let's count it up and let's build it. There's like, there's there's other activities that perhaps don't seem worthwhile. You know, you're going to say, well, how long will it take you to make this model? Or to, to, to do this as I have to do it once, I can get it done in an afternoon. But I'm going to do it up like a bunch of times. Uh, I'm going to do it many times over. I'm going to throw most of it away. But we're going to have like documented decisions. It's, yeah, it's a different set of conversations. But I I'd yeah. agree with what you say. Yeah, for sure. And I think one of the things, again, just from my experience of the different brands that I've worked with, as a consultant, but also at the time being in-house versus consultancy is that I think one of the things that a lot of in-house teams don't do very well because they don't inherently need to like a consultancy does is their understanding of how much they understand the total time that's been thrown at a project and they might understand the capital expenditure that's been thrown at a project but in terms of resource, I think there can be a um, not as much foresight into, well, this is realistically how many products you can actually develop in a certain amount of time because of the resources that you have. Mm -hmm. I do think consultancies kind of have to know that information because it's whether they can take a project on or not. That I just feel like in the announced teams I've worked in, they've been guilty of almost trying to do too much. It's um yeah, it's definitely just a very different environment. But I've definitely yeah. enjoyed both, you know, going to I also quite enjoyed you, you do it on a project by project basis as part of a consultancy, but just becoming becoming an expert in a very specific product category. Mm -hmm. So when I was at, you know, life venture and life systems, those outdoor brands that you'll find in you know blacks and cotswolds and snow and rock and all and all those types of places you know you'd go to trade shows in germany and just kind of knowing the competition inside and out um there's just a depth to that becoming an expert in a product yeah. category that's quite drew, fun as well drew is the catheter man well i was i was one of them but uh i don't know the names of the guys at uh i, I call it plastic for example but yeah. they are the captain they are the captain kings yeah, do you think just whilst we're on this kind of topic nick do you think sometimes i don't know if we've spoken uh, about this before but sometimes we almost put kind of in-house and agency in a little bit of a box but actually it's a bit more of a nuanced thing whereas not all in-house companies are the same but also on the flip side not all agencies yeah definitely. are the same and that's why i'm very heads i would never yeah. speak very yeah. yeah. too i can just say based on my experience but um i do think that people seem to you know a lot of questions i get around sort of you know what's better to start your Career, career yeah, yeah. or in-house it's like well what are you doing to start this? <laughs> like, what's the yeah. job you're doing who are you working with what are you working on how is the team structured because you mm. could have 
you could have a company that has 50,000 employees, but actually the team of what you're delivering could be three people. Yeah. Or you could work in a small agency that's just five people, but actually is a larger team that you're working in. So it's, yeah. I just think, I think people are a bit black and white. Yeah, I mean, it's just the scale as well of, of either of them. It's like, like you say, you know, your agency could be two or three people in a in a shed, you know, working working all hours, or you could be one of thousands. And likewise, if you're in house, there could be thousands of people. You could have your own specific campus for R and D, or you could be having to demonstrate that. Do you know what? We've we've actually got an R and D department in this in this company. Mm. And again, you could be in a company of thousands of people or a very small thing, but you're the only you're the only very small thing. Uh, again, likewise, there's also the flip side of that. So, well, what are you like? Are you a dog person or a cat person? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, what what are you like? As, what are you like as an actual person? Sorry. What are you like as an individual? What are you like? How's your personality? You know, what do you yeah, enjoy? Yeah. What do you not enjoy? And I've always referred to myself as being a house cat when it comes to like most of my career is that I'm I know my surroundings really really well, and I'm probably not going to have to go far beyond those. Um, and there's a certain pace of life that comes with that as well. You know, no, I know that I can turn my machine off and go on when I need to go and pick the girls up from school. Um, and I think with a lot of agencies, I mean, I'm saying this to an outsider. <laughs> what are you saying? You, you, you don't like, you don't go out. <laughs> you might go out and get a coffee uh, and then come back and carry on until it's done. I mean, it sounds, I mean, I'm talking horror shows, but uh, we've certainly had a few, a few tales, haven't we, Brad? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it, and, it, it is intense, isn't it? You know, agency life is, you know, it can not be for the faint-hearted, right? You know, it is. Yeah, I mean, the pace of work is quick, but what I would say about IDC is I think we do have a very, very good work-life balance and, mm. and don't slip into that cliche. Yeah. What's it like working at IDC out of interest? You've been there for a while? How, yeah, how yeah. I, I think it's great. I think there's... Your boss is listening, so... The... <laughs> the um, I do genuinely think that for someone's career, the variety of... The variety of products, but the variety of users of different products, the variety of materials and processes and technologies, it's, um, yeah, it's definitely a, just a really great, just the variety is a big, big part of it and and keeps people there for, for quite a while. Yeah. And it's a big... Um big big kind of percentage of stuff that reaches market as well so even though you're in agency land you know it's quite a high percentage of things actually reach the shelf yeah so obviously there's you know there's a number of agencies who may be a little more of a concept house where they'll take it's like concept visuals um but yeah at idc we did i think we did a three-year either three years or five years study over past projects to see um with regards to revenue, how much was related to work that went into the market and into production? And it was it was over 90%. So, you know, anyone who anyone who works for IDC is going to get products to market. And that, you know, even interns who are with us for 12 months will likely work on stuff that goes to market. Which is refreshing for an agency, right? Because that's not like that. Well. Yeah. Like if you're a prospect going into that team or if you're trying to knock on the door, that's such an exciting thing to have as a carrot dangled in front of you again. 
because I was, t- I mean, we, we talked about it before, but I sort of see that as my trophy cabinet, you know, when I'm, when I'm finished and now living on the beach in Amsterdam, <laughs> because some, at some point in the next 20 years, I'm going to win the lottery. I'm not going to get there through my career. Um, but, you know, it'd just be nice to look at all the things that you've designed that people have used and whether they've been successful or not, but they've just made it out there into the real world. That's, that's just so satisfying and exciting. So to hear that, like, even if you're an intern, you're, going to, you're more than likely just based on the statistics, gonna yeah. get something out there into the real world. Is oh man, that's that's so cool. Yeah, so I mean, it's a big part of you know why we become designers as well. Is I became a designer because I'm passionate about products. I'm not. Well, I was going to say I'm not passionate about the things that you have to do as a means to get to that end, mm-hmm. but I am. But you know what I mean? I'm, I'm passionate about products. I'm passionate That's about design. And it's it's solving real problems with real products for real people, for real businesses. Did you ever have a moment where you sort of saw something and, re- like, was there a product or something as a, as a youngster where, you, like, where it clicked? Was there something where you went, all right, I get it now? Or did you, was it more? I think, the, I think the click moment wasn't necessarily a product, but I think when you're young, you are aware that there is a job title called this thing called a graphic designer. Mm-hmm. And we can, it's normally the kind of the first thing within design that you are a- aware of as yeah. some sort of designer. And then, and not many people, well, even if you meet the average, you know, 40 year old would know what a product designer is, but they'll know what a web designer is. They'll understand that someone we, is we, a third we don't even We don't even know what a product designer is. Oh, anymore, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but the uh, you know what I mean though. But like people are aware that there are web designers and fashion designers and interior designers um, and graphic designers, and so I just always used to draw logos, just drawing logos and doing. Do you remember the game Worms? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Worms right. too was like unbelievable, and that was made by a company <laughs> called Team Seventeen. And when I was in primary school, we created our own game called Battle Axe. And it was kind of similar to Worms. And the idea was that we were going to send it to Team 17. I don't think it even happened in the end. But we kind of created this game. And I was just the guy that would do the drawings and the sketches and the logo and all that sort of stuff. And that was in primary school. So then, and I'd always kind of built stuff in the garage. I remember like one of our streets near our house was like quite a long downhill. So it was just sort of screwing wheels to <laughs> platforms and just bolting all sorts of crap onto it that you could hold on to. And then when I got to high school, I was just lucky enough that they actually did product design from like year seven, oh, wow. which when I, when I obviously, you know, I do these portfolio improvement programs and stuff. When I talk to the average designer in America, they've only like discovered product design, industrial design, like when they're like 21 as a a little option as a course, when they're already at university and then they might decide to major in it or whatever. Whereas I'd kind of done bits of DT at primary school. I'd always done graphics. So then by the time I got to high school and it was like, there's this thing called product design where you design physical products. I just went, that's it. That is the thing yeah. where all of these things have clicked into place. And so I specifically remember thinking I'm going to be a graphic designer. And then when I kind of got introduced to products, it was like, no, scrap that. 
product designer. That's it. Lock it in. Job done. <laughs> and then I've just never taken my eye off that since I was about 13. Oh, that's so familiar. Because I used to, st- instead of going out and playing football with the other boys, I used to stay in with a couple of my mates in primary school and draw Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Um, and then I started drawing, like, car and band logos, specifically, like, changing them a little bit, you know. Um and then I was like, oh, I'll be a car designer. Because like my cousin was a graphic designer, so I was like, oh, I'll be a graphic designer. Then I was like, no, I'll be a car designer because that's so cool. You get to make something at the end of it. And then I realized at some point that, oh, you could do that with lamps and chairs and like knives and forks. Amazing. Yeah. That. <laughs> Just like, I want to do that. That's incredible. The notion that someone has to sit down and think about how you're going to make and how many of these uh, like spoons are you going to make and what materials what yeah, yeah. like what's the radius on the back of this um should we put a little spigot on the back so that when you sit it down on the tabletop it doesn't just get gravy everywhere i just love it like i love yeah it. yeah it's also like the commercial aspect linked into it as well there's a great scene in the film cocktail with tom cruise where he um, he says, I've forgotten who is opposite him, but he says, we're surrounded by millionaires. And he's like frustrated at the fact that he's kind of not one. <laughs> and he talks about the flugel binder. I don't even know if that's the proper name, but it's the bit of plastic at the end of your shoelace. And he's like, there's a guy who owns a factory making flugel binders and he's a millionaire. <laughs> and then he looks at the little umbrella in his cocktail, the mini umbrella, and he's like, Mr. Mini Umbrella is a millionaire. I'm probably butchering that scene, but I just really think, yeah, like that is true of all like just that commercial side of it as well. And then I just remember as well, just having a, I just used to piss my parents off so much with the amount of questions of why things were done a certain way. So I think that was just another thing that was another factor of things falling into place. And I specifically remember one of them. And I was like, you know, at the end, when you finished your meal, you should, it's polite if you put your cutlery together on yeah. the plate. Yeah, and just remember going, why? <laughs> why? Like at some point in history, someone went, right, if I leave these two bits of metal apart from each other, you're rude. Yeah. And if you put those two bits of metal close together, you're a polite person. <laughs> Who decided that at one point in history? And the other one is like, if I wear a cap at a dinner table, like, so I've got a bit of fabric on my head. Mm-hmm. And if I don't take it off, I'm rude. Who who decided these things? <laughs> I, see, I don't get it, know. Get it all yeah. off your chest. Get it all off your chest. Oh, man, I think the, sen- yeah, the sentence I've probably heard more than any other is, oh, just give it a rest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So my, my daughter's asked me like the same sort of things. I'm like, put your, put your knife and fork in a cue position on your plate so that I know you're done. So if I take your plate away and you're you're not finished, I'm not being the bad man, right? If I if you put it there, I know you're done and I can take it away at the end, right? And I'll even get like even if I'm wearing a hat and I'll sit down and go, oh shit, take it off. Sorry, that's so rude of me. And they're like, why? Like, mm, I'm not sh- I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, but it is. It's rude, so just accept it. Like, <laughs> It just you can have some meaningless traditions, please. <laughs> you can change the rules yeah. on things that, that don't matter, but on things like like a hat on your head and a dinner table, it's just it's bang out of order. 
Yeah. And that's before we get in, you know, all those things that make it so interesting. That's before we get into, you know, how things are done the way they are technically and manufacturing and just all these little, I love, I'm, I'm a big one for just finding out new things about different objects. I've just picked up this pen. <laughs> it's not something I've just learned, but like on your biro, if you've got one near you, you'll see the hole halfway, halfway up the stem, you'll see the hole in the middle. And the reason that's there is that when, when the pen's loaded in, there's a cap on the top. And if you didn't have that hole there, you wouldn't be able to push that cap on so it's allowed the uh, the air to escape. And there's just little things like I that. Bet, I bet you're great at a dinner party. Just with the, you know, with like, I don't know, like the fiance's family or something. You've got all these fun facts. Of, um, I can imagine it all going, I imagine it goes down really well. Take your hat off, Grandad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can fork down properly. <laughs> so, so, um, just um, you, you put something up on Instagram a couple of days ago. I don't know if you remember it, but um, you had a bit of a backlash. I don't know if it was necessarily a backlash, but people were kind of responding to you with opinions, which is normally a good thing, I suppose. And it was about the topic of job titles. I didn't know if you wanted to go into that in a bit more, a bit more depth at all of um, of what. Uh, the, can do. Yeah, it was. It was. It wasn't a really a strong opinion. No. I was just kind of throwing a thought out there, to be honest. But basically, I'd seen quite a few people who were senior designer title with kind of about a year and a half of experience. Yeah. And I just, for me, when I graduated, in my head, like eight years was like the senior mm. stepping stone. I don't know why, but that was just. Um, that's just I how it. That's head. just how it is. Maybe you know, that's just a meaningless tradition. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I'm guilty. Yeah, uh, myself. But I don't know. It just seemed a little odd that someone with a year and a half of experience was a senior designer. And I get different businesses have different structures with different titles and certain different meanings to these titles. But I just think I'd that I'd worked in enough teams and with enough people and different structures so there's that awareness that things are done differently Mm. but I just had a feeling that there was the potential that if a senior title is given too soon that if if that person then thinks that that title of now becoming senior comes with it an expectation to have the answers to the things they were once asking a lot of questions around. That it just, I think it has the potential for certain people in certain jobs with a certain personality type that if the ego got away with itself, (laughs) that you could then... What do you mean designers have an ego? What do you mean? (laughs) Just potentially stop asking... Questions. all All the innocent and humble questions that you did that when maybe there wasn't that expectation to have the answer. So it's just this, a little thought that yeah. maybe you, is it a recent a senior, trend? a title with the word senior in it in combination with being at the start of your career. It was just a question and a thought of, is that a great combination? Yeah. Do, is yeah it a, does it is, have the potential to limit growth if it stops you from 
potentially having that humility and asking yeah. some questions it, it, and reaching just, out for help. Is it just a recent observation where it's like, this wouldn't have happened five, ten years ago, but it's just something that's creeping in more and more where you're kind of seeing, oh, that person's, the head off one always gets me. It's like, how can you be a head of design when you only graduated last year? <laughs> yeah, you're just, you're just a, you're just a but designer. But it wasn't, it wasn't it? anything against anyone no. who is in that position where, you know, they have 18 months experience and have been, promoted to a senior it's nothing against them it's just more of a uh, an interest in the decisions of the leadership mm. team who choose to structure it in that yeah, way I, and make yeah. that decision to make I, that silence I, 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 I doubt the designer has kind of kicked the bolt down and said look where's my senior title <laughs> they just had an appraisal one day and someone went you know here's your promotion and it's in I don't know, I job. Back on that because like really? I said, I, yeah I've worked in uh, a number of indus- a number of companies now. And is this in Switzerland as well? Say in medical devices, right, where there is that um, like ranked progression. Mm. Okay, where you've got your annual performance review. And if you've been there for a certain amount of time and you've hit uh, like key performance reviews in, in the right way for that amount of time, then you'll get the senior. Then you'll get manager. You don't have to be managing something or like, or somebody. It's more that, yeah, you have to do those activities in order to be able to tick the boxes, but this is the next title. And that spreads across the, across the board. So if you're a researcher or a designer or, uh, you know, or a specialist in, um, you know, regulations or whatever, you're going to come in as maybe a junior or maybe just like no prefix. Then you'll get the senior, but you can't go from that one to the management position even if you've been managing a team, even if that's like in-house, out-house, whatever. So, yeah, I, I, I would definitely say that I know and I've been sucked into that trap. Well, mm. uh, well, well, listen, I'm ready for the senior position now because that gives me this um, salary banding and this expectation of roles and responsibilities and this package and all of that. That said, I do think there's something that we can learn from academia whereby you've got lecturer, senior lecturer, um, you know, professor, maybe not those titles, obviously, but there's something that we could do within the industry to kind of give that bit of, um, like, more of a lateral comparison. So within the team, yeah, you might be the senior member. Are you a senior designer? Maybe, maybe not. It really depends on the person and on the, on the, on the, on the thing. But it's, it's, it, it's an important question. I don't know how we go about answering it. I mean, the role of someone of like an organization like BIDA, if we were to all go, you know what, everybody that's working in this industry, join BIDA, let's have the conversation and let's sort all this kind of stuff out. Maybe it's something new, maybe it's just... I don't think it has to be, uh, I don't think anything has to be standardised. I'd leave every individual business to make their own decisions. I don't mm-hmm. think that needs to be standardised. I just, it was more just a question of, it would be a great shame if somebody, upon getting a senior title, then started acting in a different way because of that, mm. in a way that limited their own growth. That's yeah, interesting. More just if that was a... And likewise, you'd move to a new team and you'd been the senior and then you move to a team of like really well-experienced designers that are, you know, what, three to five years in and not calling themselves seniors. And... I don't know, chances are, let's say, you know, without picking any individuals because we don't know any of them, um, you probably have your ass under to you. I mean, you'd certainly learn quite quickly that, okay, a couple of years in, you might have done very, very well, but 
it, there, there, there is no substitute for just time to live. Mm. It's what it's what the expectation is of that person that's that's in that position. So they've been made a senior after two years, and then they decide to move on to a different job. Is like, is there still that same expectation that they would be a senior elsewhere? I'd imagine a promotion in title is a promotion in pay as well. So it's 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 that kind of conversations when they decide to move on. It's like have they started to set themselves some quite unrealistic expectations because they've been given an element of seniority in title, but it's not necessarily the case across the board. So it's whether they it's whether they can perhaps understand that maybe you won't get the same gig elsewhere. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think most of them do have that awareness. Yeah. So um, it, it's, um, as you might be aware, it's graduation season um, at the minute. My LinkedIn tells me there's lots of students waving their uh, bit of virtual paper saying they've got a 2-1 or something. Um, so congratulations to those that have made it this far. Um, one question we had for you, Nick, was looking back in your career, is there anything you wish you knew now that um, – what, what what's the question? Anything you wish you knew when you was a graduate that you knew now? Is that is that the one, Drew? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to go with that one. Yeah, yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, basically, found uh, a way of asking for you to give some advice to graduates. Yeah, no, I, I've always um, that question has come up a few times, just giving different you, guest lectures and talks yeah. and Q and As and stuff like that, and I always struggle to think of if I frame it as something I wish I'd have known, mm. I would struggle to think of something. But if I just think of something that, that I think is worthwhile for others to know or a particular mindset to have, whether I wished I knew it at the time is, is different. But I think I was kind of lucky enough to, um, just have certain people around me right at the beginning, even through uni, even before industry, who, and this is why I like to be very real in the talks that I give at universities, because um, normally there's a bit of a reality check required, I think. And I think that's what served me very well was getting that reality check incredibly early in that the, I suppose the advice I'd give is that I think it's a really, really good habit to see going to university and getting a degree in design as one piece of the pie chart of your design education. But it's kind of the norm that people think, oh, well, I did product design at A-level or maybe I went to college and got this thing and I go to uni. I just think that if you just do the expected norm of you went to uni, you did the projects that was the absolute bare minimum, you just went to the lectures that you were required to go to, and at the end of it, let's say you do get a 2-1, or even if you got first or whatever, that if you just kind of did the average or just what was expected of you through those four years, the... Well, I mean, the maths is there in terms of how many jobs there are for how many graduates. The, the, the chances are you're not going to land a job. Mm. So I just think I kind of had someone who said to me that, and I think people normally have a pretty good idea of 
where their abilities probably are in relation to the other people that are in their year at uni. Mm. But I just kind of had it drilled into me that, yeah, that's a very small pond, by the way. You need to realise that... There's other you know, universities. The big world, you better up the game. Yeah. There's what, like 70 courses or something now in the UK doing that? So, you know, you multiply that. How many people around you can you see in your final year? Fantastic. Yeah. So I just think if you just get by doing what you're expected to do, chances are you're not going to land a job. So mm. I just think it's a really good habit to see you going to uni and doing that stuff as just one piece of the pie chart of your design education. I, I honestly do not believe that an education is something that you receive. I think an education is something that you pursue yourself mm. and make happen. And, you know, there was one other question that got sent in around sort of, oh, what if I've never worked in consultancy? Is going to somebody think of, is somebody going to think about me or consider me? It's like, well, just because you've never worked consultancy, you need to be more resourceful. Yeah. <laughs> like, how about you go and write a hundred people who are the senior designers at consultancies and try and get on a half an hour Zoom call with them? Do you reckon if you sent that message to a hundred people, even if six of them respond and jump on a call with you and you were managed to get in front of them and ask questions for half an hour to six, do you think your understanding of the considerations and factors of what makes an effective employee a design consultancy, do you think your understanding and awareness might increase or decrease from doing that? It's like, and just that scale of action yeah. in everything to, to increase that education. Mm. And I just... The amount of people who they'll do group projects and then it just stays as it is. Mm. And they'll be like, oh, how can I present it? Because I don't like it. It's like, mm. look, no one's chaining you to this project. <laughs> if if you were part of a group project and you didn't like the change it, the, the output, there's nothing stopping you working on it for another six months and taking it way beyond what the expectation was for the handing of that project within the circle of academia. I just think you've got to see it as a total education, not just, oh, going to uni is the thing you do to get the job. Yeah. I just think that's a really healthy yeah. we, we, we We always bang on about attitude, don't we, Drew? And, yeah, 100%. And that's a big part, yeah. isn't it? And I'll, I'll, I'll fess up. I mean, like, I didn't work hard enough at uni. Um, I, I, I don't, or at least I don't think I did. I, I did. I don't think that I read enough. I don't think that I... Um, like pestered my tutors enough um, and I think you know it, like, it shows in the way that I feel about what I graduated with but you're right in terms of um, like afterwards I don't know like a year's worth of trying to get work um, I don't know like after my first job um, when I was starting to go for uh, I was trying to get more closer to industrial design as I saw I'd taken a job that paid them and I didn't have to move back in with all of that um, and I revisited my whole portfolio because I had things from uni that were hand-drawn and after a year or so of carrying them around, they were tatty. So I, I went back in and revisited them and thought, actually, I really don't like this thing anymore. This is something I did, you know, two or three years ago and I, I know I could do a better job of it and, and revisited that. Um, not under any false pretenses. It was just like, if I'm going to present my work, 
I don't represent stuff that I'm really embarrassed by. So again, it's like it's it's as you say, you it's not something you just receive. You have to keep going back. If this is representing you right now, then make sure it represents you right now and all the things that you've read of your own volition. I mean, this is the thing. I, I mean, when I was in uni, we didn't have Audible. Yeah, you can get books on tape, but now Audible is this amazing tool where you're basically in the, the sort of the beginning of Act Two of the first Matrix movie where you can plug earphones in and within a few days you've learned a whole book worth of stuff that otherwise you'd have to sit and read and it would take you ages because if you're anything like me, you read for half an hour and fall asleep. Like you can just download stuff into your brain. Yeah. Um, like there's really no excuse, even someone like me. I'm like, I, I wish I had that then because, uh, yeah, I probably would have, well, I'd like to think I would have done, been a bit more involved, but uh, laziness and young man syndrome certainly. Uh, mm. You've made well, yeah, to, to a lot of these people who kind of the last question is like that: like, will I be considered <laughs> if I've never worked consultancy? Well, you, you can't just sit and think that everything's going to come yeah. to you. Whereas, uh, yeah. you know, what if you wrote another fifty people and said, I, "I, I've never seen the inside of a design consultancy. I'd love to just come and visit for ten mm. minutes or twenty minutes or half an hour and just have a tour to see what it's like." Yeah. Go and write 50 people. Yeah. I mean, LinkedIn's there to use. Do you know what's also... Go and, go and send that message and and make this stuff happen. Because then, if you had taken those steps, I just think there's a level of proactiveness. Yeah. yeah. That there's definitely who have been on this podcast that could offer you 10 minutes for a coffee and a chat, half an hour maybe for like a little talk and a conversation. That I know that they want to be helpful to the youngsters and like want to build community. Um, I won't name names because it's not fair to do that, right? But go through, go through and have a listen, and you'll see. As long as you're not, ru- as long as you're not rude about it, I'm sure they'd. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like, they hey, give. They give time. I think, this, this, I think I agree with you on this, uh, but like, yeah, as you say, I'm I'm, I'm totally on the, in the wilderness, and I'd just like to come in and see what I'm what I'm missing out on. You did forget to shamelessly promote the Design Truth Design Directory there, though, Nick, which is a shame because that that is the go-to resource for yeah, someone. Sorry in that. That. Yeah, sorry about that. What's it, just um, just out of interest, has anything anything um, strange ever happened to you when you were uh, doing a uni lecture? Because I had one once. I don't know if I ever told you this. I had a guy once that was, um, I won't name the university, but he was cooking a lamb shank during, during my talk. <laughs> Have you ever had anything like that before? Oh, it was on a Zoom call. Yeah, I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah. I, when you said, you know, I pictured Yeah, he was cooking. I was halfway through. I stopped him and went, have you got the potatoes on, mate? You know, have you got, have you got it all going on? Just, I just Brilliant. thought it. But it kind of, whilst I found it quite funny, it does kind of go back to the attitude piece of like some days I look back on it and go, it's quite rude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, the, Here's the other one, right? Is that like, they have people from industry go into universities. Who are these people paying nine grand a year and don't even turn up to the talks yeah. when industry people come in? Who yeah. are you? What yeah. are you doing? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. It's mental. The amount that it costs and like for how long and how much a month you're going to be paying that back for. Fucking turn off. Just at least go and get your money somewhere. Yeah. But yeah. even like that, even at the end of the spectrum of education, we just had the um, 
Made in Brunel graduate show. The amount of people, I mean, this is your, it's opening night, loads of industry people come in, either not stood by your stand, not approaching anyone, not, I'm stood there. I just know. You're like, I'm, Nick from, I, I'm Nick from IDC and you're not even speaking to me. I mean, how outrageous is that? Was that what I, you was I, like? Not <laughs> that, like, you know, I'm that important that you should be, but that would just, I was shocked. Mm. And like, no CVs, portfolios. You're never going to get a better opportunity. Yeah, you're never going to get a better opportunity than actually seeing the whites of someone's eyes, are you? You know, we, these digital tools are great, but I mean, I was up in London the other week just having a beer with some people, and it's far better than a Zoom call. Do you know what I mean? In terms of building yeah. relationship with people, yeah. so do better next time. Guys. I don't know. I'm just a big. <laughs> I love incredibly it- proactive people. So anyone yeah. that we hire, anyone who's just like different level of proactiveness, is normally what will. What you go for. Yeah. Yeah. Have you found, uh, how did your recent, because um, I know you guys are looking quite recently for, for some graduates, but you impressed with the applications that came through and um, different than what you yeah, expected? We, um, we've not stopped hiring, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, we hired, um, we hired a design engineer, mechanical engineer two months ago, so two months in. And then we've, um, just hired a graduate from an industrial design course uh, at Loughborough who just started uh, last week, maybe, yeah, last week. Um, might have been this week. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, and then we've got somebody else joining us next week, um, young guys and industrial designer. So it's all kind of, yeah. it's Yeah. And it's in terms of the quality that's come through, it's all been, all been really good or has it been different to maybe other times you've looked for people or? Um, there's definitely a, the shift I've seen is, and I posted about it not too long back, but the, the key shot skills are incredible. <laughs> They're absolutely yeah. incredible. And I think, I think there's a generation, the people who've graduated this year and probably the two years before that as well, have spent more time in key shot than a, any than a, than a other graduating or generations before that. And it's, um, yeah, it's incredible. Is it and it's scary? not that... Is it a bit scary? It's not that that's the only thing you're looking for. Yeah. But it is, I am always very impressed by, they've just very, very clearly spent a lot of time learning that particular skill. Mm. And then the thing that's normally just the physical development is... I'm always interested if if more time has gone into one skill, and it's not to say that it's either or, but if more time has gone into something, usually time has not been put somewhere else. Obviously, you have the people who will fire on all cylinders, but um, I, I can't help but think that the place where that has come out from is, is the physical development. Mm. Um, um, physical models for the purpose of I was talking to one of our uh, junior designers today about this actually in that I think there are things that come up in product development that make you go 
okay, a decision has to be made here. Therefore, we should make a model to find this out that, that makes us allows us to make that decision and then proceed. Yeah. But I think there's also less obvious things that would benefit from a model being made. And that model will bring significant value and highlight other things. Okay. Yeah. But there wasn't a really obvious thing that made you go, okay, I need to build a model now. Hmm. Um, so I do, I'm just a big promoter of kind of getting physical early doors in terms of proportion and scale, usability, all sorts of reasons. But normally things get highlighted early yeah. doors from doing that. And yeah. I think there's a, a making models when there's less obvious reasons to make a model yeah. is just one of my thoughts. But maybe there's a tendency to just jump into CAD hmm. and be too CAD heavy. Well, so well I'd say that that's the across, the, I mean, I not everywhere, but um, yeah, it's, it, it's very typical in, it, again, catching myself here. It's typical in the in-house places in which I have worked that there's an emphasis on. Let's get a card okay. in quickly. Um, so I, I don't know what shape it is yet. I'm not, like, how am I going to specify dimensions on on a radius where I really don't know what I kind of want to draw yet? Let me let me draw it and and make versions of it and go downstairs in the workshop and sand it for an hour. I let me do that and then I'll I'll be able to cut it up really really quickly. But it's like, no, we need the card done. Like, okay. I find that a bit challenging. I'm like I'm paraphrasing. I'm making a, a, a yeah, of yeah. total nonsense. But yeah, that 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 always struck me as the attitude. Um, like yeah, there's a rush to get into the details and not explore stuff that we don't even know yet. Yeah, one thing sometimes like um, with the key shot stuff quickly is that you can um, you talk to someone and then you ask them how long did that take you. <laughs> And they'll go, oh, it took me like weeks to do that. And you think an agency doesn't get weeks to to, to do that. Yeah. And so you, sometimes you might be looking at these portfolios going, wow, they're amazing. But then it comes down to the attitude piece of could this person work under a heavy time pressure deadline? And are they going to be able to reach those kind of standards? So I suppose that's the balancing act, isn't it, for when you're... Yeah. And I think one of the key people. skills that gets developed for the people that we do take on and, and work with us is... I'd say one of the key skills that I see growth in is the awareness and ability to know to what level is something appropriate to be taken mm. at what point in a project um, to kind of progress the project in a meaningful way. Yeah. It's probably one of the number one skills that gets developed quickly. Yeah. So That's why I like process and an outline of like what's your approach to this project. I give you a brief and it's this deep or if it's in this industry, whatever, and what are the pieces of work you're going to do and when and where, what decisions we're going to make. That's what I want to see from, uh, from designers. Like if I was hiring a designer and if, you know, if I'm uh, like going out for work, that's the piece, that's the piece of work that I can create that's either going to get the, the job or not is, is, is my project structure. Yeah, what one? Um, sorry, Brad, you're no, sorry. So we're coming up to an hour, and um, one question we do like to end things on, Nick, is I gave you the slight heads up yesterday, so you could get your your thinking cap on. Was um, what's the strangest brief you've ever come across? Um, 
as, as are any email subjects that have come through over the last couple of years where you've gone, guys, you've got to see this. This idea is the, <laughs> the worst thing I've ever <laughs> This idea is one of the worst things I've ever seen. Or I put, So, yeah, I appreciate you sending that through yesterday. Yeah. I, yeah. Uh, <laughs> there's, there's three that I kind of thought of that were, okay. When you said strange, I think you thought strange in being shit. Mm. But I kind of thought it of just kind of more like unusual well, even, ones, not necessarily being bad. Well, even even the one we had last time, Drew, of the of Paul, who was who mentioned, we asked him what his strangest brief was, and it wasn't really that strange when he explained it, but it felt strange when he originally came across. Yeah, um, radio in a fridge. Yeah, a radio in a fridge, and it must be bizarre. But then he explained the cultural context of it, and it's like, oh, that makes perfect sense. So yeah. you're absolutely right. It's not strange in terms of this is the shittest thing I've ever seen, but it's just strange in terms of what the bloody hell is this thing? Yeah. And then, yeah. Um, so this was strange in a way that it was just just a very different type of project in terms of all the stuff that we normally work on. But we did some work for a cyber security firm called Garrison, and. Garrison had created a bit of software slash hardware that essentially what it did was um, rather than your computer being connected to the network and the internet, and so if you've got a virus, your computer gets um, damaged or whatever, your actual computer that you care about, this is more in a professional setting, but the computer that you care about isn't connected to the internet. And there's a bit of software hardware that um, that is connected to the internet. And what you're seeing on your machine is a visual representation. So it just looks exactly the same, but it's sending that data to your machine without you actually being connected to the internet. So if there was any sort of um, threat or whatever, you're completely safe and there's just this sacrificial um, product and the challenge that they had was in terms of trade shows and getting attention it's it's quite a difficult thing to articulate and explain um i'm sure i've butchered that as well but the um that wasn't we didn't work on anything regarding that that's that's their development but what they wanted was something that they could take to a trade show that was a bit of fun and could get people talking and asking the questions of what it did so we ended up developing the world's first typing robot. Um, and the whole thing was designed and manufactured and all engineered. So it was, it was a robotic system that there was a laptop on one desk and then Ravi the robot would sit next to you at his desk. And if you went up to the laptop and typed, hi, this is the Design Truth podcast, it would, Ravi sat next to you would write it in real time, typing with his robotic hands yeah. on a keyboard. So it was showing the fact that it's doing it simultaneously yeah. on his screen. And it was just an odd project, but one that actually was seen all the way through and, mm. and manufactured and machined in this entire robotic system. But it was, that was quite a, quite a cool, unusual one to yeah. work on. The other one was there was a robotic because um, we've got kind of robotic capability now. So it's another one that was a robotic sandwich maker restaurant concept that there was a very wealthy investor wanted to 
and opened a restaurant in London didn't, under that theme of the robotics. Didn't want to make a ham and cheese sarnie anymore. Exactly. Sarnie anymore. <laughs> yeah, so he had this idea for a, a restaurant that it was a robot that was basically Subway, but a robot doing it all. And the idea that it's a bit of theatre and the experience of what you see. Mm. Um, so we actually did phases as part of the project and delivered it up to a certain phase. In the end, they didn't want to invest further. Um, yeah, we did point out realistically how much funding that would actually take to get all the way through. Like I said, it was a very wealthy investor, but it, um, yeah, it didn't go much further. But we actually did have a robot in the end. that, And just quite strange creative problems that you don't normally solve when you're developing a medical device, like how is lettuce and rocket going to behave as part of the mechanism <laughs> to get that into a sandwich and slicing cucumber or salami or whatever. There were some quite interesting challenges. Okay, I'm sort of picturing, I'm sure it isn't like this, but I'm picturing one of those arcade games, you know, where you like you try to grab, I don't know. Uh, like, <laughs> oh, right, yeah. You're like, okay, well, I want lettuce in there. <laughs> I'm overshot. Oh, I'll just go for it anyway. Oh, damn it, I've got cucumber. And then, you know, like you're trying to do the, the, the same sort of yeah. thing. What happens when you get to the source? <laughs> it's carnage. Yeah. Uh, so we, we have had the typical ones that you probably get of you know the bad, really bad concepts that just wouldn't go anywhere. Yeah. But the first project I ever actually worked on at IDC was a um, it's a, a process called vascular anastomosis. So the first project I ever worked on was a device used by vascular surgeons to stitch an artery back together again. That was like the first thing I mm. I worked on. So that had some. There you go. If you ever if you ever wanted a bigger endorsement of of, of working for IDC, one minute you're looking at stitching yeah. arteries together, and the next minute you're looking at sandwiches. So um, that's the best. That's the, the best, best part about you can that, give. That, um, that robot sandwich maker was that we actually had to test loads of different types of bread. So you put, so on, about, the put on about two st- in you, around London. Put on about two stone during the process. <laughs> yeah, <so. laughs> let's try a lot of bread as part of that project. Yeah, cool. Uh, whilst I've got you, I had, a, I had a funny story about IDC once when um, an old colleague of mine went for a, a, a visit there and um, he took a colleague. Um, her name was Rachel and she was a she was quite a heavy Christian. Um, and um, they're going around the, the workshop and um, I don't know whether Paul gave like, gave like a massive heads up that he's bringing a colleague along. And um, I think IDC were doing a lot of work with sex toys at the time. And basically, she just kind of walked into this workshop and it's just like sex toys everywhere in this yeah, workshop. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like her first meeting to a design studio ever and she's been scarred for life ever since. But uh, that's, uh, We do still have the sex yeah. toys on display as part of our conference room and upstairs settle. It was always funny that everyone always kind of looks at the other products, kind of guessing what they are. And then there's always the, what's that? Yeah. Oh, it's the V. Oh, I thought you were going to say that everyone gets to that and knows exactly what it yeah, is. That's the V seven. That's the V seven, isn't that one? That's good. Good battery <laughs> life on that one. Yeah. Battery life on that's shocking. Yeah, honestly, the V eight is so much better on that than uh, than, yeah. than that one. But yeah, Nick, absolute pleasure in um, yeah yeah in coming on, and um, you were our first ever guest on a Design Truth Live, so uh, I'm sure that was also a career highlight of yours as well. So uh, yes, definitely, uh, bro. Yeah, of course, and uh, yeah, yeah no problem. It's been good. Thank you for listening to the latest episode of Design Truth. Big thanks to Nick for coming on. If you like the sound of IDC, they are actually currently looking for a senior design engineer at the minute to work alongside the likes of Nick. Um, A reminder that if you now head over to www.designtruth.co.uk, 
you will now see our industry-wide salary guide, probably the most complete industrial design directory on the web, and hopefully, fingers crossed, over the next few days, a couple of new, a couple of new vacancies as well to kind of whet the application appetite. Look after yourselves as always, and I'll uh, see you next time. <laughs>